so we are going to be looking at the account of Gideon. Gideon. We're going to be in Judges. If you have a Bible, turn to Judges chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. So I want you to turn to Judges chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament. It's after Joshua. And we're going to be in chapter 6. And we're going to be reading a few verses in chapter 6. Um, you know, we're going to be looking at this account of Gideon uh, recorded in Scripture uh, because I, I, I was away a couple weeks ago on a ministry trip with my family. And um, I really believe the Holy Spirit was impressing upon me to, in my heart to really share with you um, about uh, Gideon and, and, and really begin to put on my heart concerning starting up a men's ministry. And uh, it's going to be called Men of Valor. Um, I really believe that in this time that we're in, we need, you need to know that God calls you, man, a man of valor. Even though you may not see yourself as a man of valor, God calls you a man of valor. And I believe that God is uh, doing something, stirring something in my heart uh, to encourage and edify young men and men of all ages. Uh, because we, 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 if you, we're going to look at this story today and how God raised up Gideon in a time much like we're living in today, in a time uh, where, where people were doing evil in, our, in their country. People were doing bad things in the world, and we see that happening today. You see, history repeats itself. This is nothing new under the sun. We may be a little more sophisticated and more, uh, we may have more technology but it's the same devil and it's the same sin in man that is creating the wickedness that we're seeing in our world today and in our society. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm not doing a men's Bible study today, so I just want to remind you that. I'm not doing that. I'm just wanting to share with you what's on my heart concerning this story uh, or this account of Gideon. I believe, uh, as I said, that we're living in that time. And what was going on is people were becoming prosperous and, uh, and in that prosperity that they enjoyed because there was peace on the land, they were forgetting the Lord. And how they showed they were forgetting the Lord is that they began to worship false gods. They began to worship the gods of the nation that God drove out of those lands because of that. And uh, so let's, uh, let's, look at, um, let's look at some things, you know. Uh, you know, I, I find this more like our nation. I think that we're in the same boat. We have enjoyed from our, our forefathers in the wars of the past, we have enjoyed peace and prosperity in our nation. And as a result, the nation has rejected and has forsaken the Lord. And our people, you need to understand that America was established as a Christian nation. It was not established to be any other type of nation. It was established to be a Christian nation. It was supposed to be an, a place where Christ, uh, would, His kingdom would be established here on the earth through, his, through the people and that His rule will, will rule over the people's hearts of America. And for a long time that was the case. And as we began to see, there were obviously they weren't perfect people. No one uh, claims that, uh, I mean, last time I checked, there's nobody perfect in this generation. Either So no one is perfect. There was only one who was perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. He was the man who came from heaven. And he's God in the flesh. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the perfect man, came, lived on this earth. He lived a sinless life, and he died on that cross for our sins and the sins of the world. 
And he rose again on the third day, defeating death. And one day he's coming back. And he's not coming back as a babe in a manger. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to bring justice on this earth, on all the wicked. And today is a day of salvation. Today is a day where you can turn to the Lord. Today is a day where you can surrender your life to Christ. And he wants to save you. He's set, God sent his son to save you. And what an awesome opportunity you have to listen to the word of God and to respond to him. I believe today in America, church, uh, the church has enlarged, fallen asleep through fleshly indulgences. You see, if we look at Judges chapter 6, we're, we're reading the account of Israel. We're not reading the account of the pagan world, although there are some things of pagan worlds within the scripture. But this is the word of God to his people and I, I really believe the problems that we're having in this country as a result of the church in America, the American church, the, the issues that we're having in the country is, the, is, is a result of what's happening within the church in America. See, the Bible says, if my people, not if the pagan, not if the, the lost person, not if the person who doesn't care about Jesus, no, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves turn from their wicked ways, pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. See, God was speaking to his people and we are his people. If we bear his name and we say we are followers of Jesus Christ and we bear that name. And that bearing that name, just like a family, you have a last name, your parents have your father's last name. How you live and how you represent yourself, how you carry yourself in society represents that family name. Well, in the same way, if we are part of the family of God and we are called Christians and we are, we are called believers in Jesus Christ, then we have a, 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 a life and a conduct to display to the world that manifests Jesus Christ to them. Now, obviously, we are uh, imperfect vessels that this is happening through, but nonetheless, God expects us and wants us and through His power and His Spirit for us to live a life that pleases Him and a life that reflects Jesus Christ to those around us. He wants us to do that. And I, I want to pull up, a, I got to pull up this article. Uh, give me one second. Uh, there was an article that um, I sent my wife here. I got to pull it up, see if I can grab it real quick. Give me one second here. And this, uh, this was an article that was made um, a few weeks ago, and I was watching a, um, a specific, uh, let me see here, I'm going to have to do this. Okay, here we go. This is what I want. Shocking survey of pastors in, US, in the USA. I want to read this article to you. A few things out of it. Here it is. This is the name of the article. Shocking new poll. Only 37% of U.S. pastors hold a biblical worldview. Only 30%, only 37% of U.S. pastors hold a biblical worldview. That is shocking uh, to say the least, but not fully shocking because um, as I've been telling you and I told you a few series back when we talked about uh, where Paul writes to Timothy about the signs of the times, the signs of the end the things that would take place. And, and uh, we were reminded that there will be those who will abandon the faith, who will uh, turn away from the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And this is what we're seeing today. Let me, let me read a little bit of this article to you. It says, 
A majority of Christian pastors in the United States do not hold a biblical worldview, according to the surprising new research from pollster George Barna, who says that the data shows a spiritual awakening is needed just as desperately in the pulpits as in the pews. The survey released Thursday by the Culture Research Center at Arizona Christian University shows that only 37% of pastors in the U.S. hold a biblical worldview. Among senior and lead pastors, 41% possess a biblical worldview. That's a little bit better among the senior pastor, but it's still terrible. The highest percentage within the subgroups of pastors. Less than one-third of associate and assistant pastors, 28%. Teaching pastors, 13%, and children and youth pastors, 12%, hold a biblical world view, the data found. An accompanying report labeled the findings shocking. There is another strong piece of evidence that the culture is influencing the American church more than the Christian churches are influencing the culture, said Barna, director of research at the University of Cultural Research Center. The survey's findings were based on 54 questions in eight categories related to a biblical worldview. Within those eight categories, the only one where a majority of pastors affirm a biblical worldview is related to the purpose and calling of life, 57%. A minority of pastors hold a biblical worldview in the other seven categories, family, the value of life, 47%, God, Creation and history, 44%. Personal faith and practices, 43%. Sin, salvation, and one's relationship to God, 43%. Human character and human nature, 40%. Um, Let's see. It says here, personal faith and practice, 43%. Sin, salvation, and one's relationship to God, 43%. Human character and human nature, 47%. Lifestyle, Personal behavior and relationships, 40%, and beliefs and behaviors related to the Bible, truth, and morality. The data on children's pastors and youth pastors, Barna said, is particularly discouraging. Listen to this. Keep in mind, Barna said, a person's worldview primarily develops before the age of 13, then goes through a period of refinement during their teens and 20s. From a worldview perspective, a church's most important ministers are the children's pastors and the youth pastors. Discovering that seven out of every eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview helps us to explain why so few people in the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and mind for biblical, world, for biblical principles and ways of life and why our society seems to have run wild over the last decade in particular. I'm going to end there. I, the whole point of this is so that you understand um, there's some, there's, this is damaging. Uh, I remember when I was a youth pastor many years ago, there was a book that came out, uh, The Battle Cry, and it was written, um, I forget the man's name, but he was a, a, he was a youth minister. He traveled around the country, around the world, and he, his ministry was teen mania, and uh, they would do all kinds of missionary things around the world, around the country. And uh, he wrote a book with someone, and it was really called The Battle Cry, and it was calling parents and, and churches and pastors to realize, based from another research that Barna did, which is really coming to flourish in our time, is really 
uh, kind of prophetic in what he was talking about, uh, I would say about 10 or, 10 or 12 years ago when this book was written. And in there it says that only at the rate of evangelism that we, are, we were going in at that time among this generation in America, that only 7% of Americans will, have, will be believers. Can you imagine a country where only 7% believe in Jesus Christ? And that is what is taking place. Let's get to the text now. Let's read here in Judges chapter 6. I want you to see. Why did I bring this up? Because you need to understand that it's not just the pews that are having the problem. It's not just the people sitting out here. It's the ones up here on the pulpit. What are we preaching? What are we declaring? Pastors are... are, 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 are I, I find them uh, at a place where they're not where they need to be. They're not preaching the truth. They're not declaring the word of God as they should. And uh, many of them are, have become hirelings. Many of them are concerned about getting a paycheck rather than preaching the truth and, and serving the Lord Jesus Christ out of a pure and sincere heart. Many of them are more concerned about what you think of them than what God thinks of them. And see, that's an issue. We're not to worry about what man thinks of us because when one moment you, you, you know, they're praising you. One moment you might be like, oh, Pastor Danny's awesome. I love him. And, and the next moment you're cussing me out on the parking lot. The next moment, moment you're, you're, you're at your dinner table talking how bad I am, what kind of preacher is he and all this kind of mess. That is what will happen. In, that's what happens with people. People are, are, are fickle. We, we do things. We, we, one moment we're fine and one moment we're not. And this is, this is why you don't put your you're concerned about what people are going to say or do when you proclaim the word of God as it is. And pastors are lacking today. It is a shame to the Lord Jesus Christ that 37% of us only have a, world, a biblical worldview. And this is why our country is hemorrhaging. This is why we are seeing families destroyed all over this country. This is why we are seeing what we're seeing. I, I want you to hear me, Pastor, if you're listening to me, if you're watching to me in a car or, or in, a, in your house, wherever you are in your, your office, I pray this message will minister to your heart and bring conviction that you must stand on the Word of God and preach it unadulterated, that preach it with all your heart, with all the fire of the Holy Ghost within you. God calls us to preach His Word, not to be uh, tickling people's ears, not to be uh, telling people what they want to hear. we got to tell them what they need to hear. That is the problem today. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of, the, of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. 
And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So first thing I want us to look here is that in verses 1 through 10, we see here that the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did what was wrong. They began to sin against God. You see, if you look up a little couple verses above chapter 6, you're going to see in verse 31, uh, this is um, a time in Israel's history where God had given them a victory over their enemies, again, because this was what was going on. They would, they would sin, God would raise up a judge, He would deliver them, and everything would be fine. They would begin to obey God again, and then as they became prosperous and successful, then they would sin again, and then God would, send, would allow their enemies to take them uh, captive again, and, and they would cry out to God. And here we are, they have just experienced 40 years of peace. Look at this in verse 31 of chapter 5. So many... So, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as, the, as he rises in, the, in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. So before Gideon's time, the land had rest for 40 years. And I see that in our country as the same way. We see our land experiencing, we have experienced peace. We have not had many wars. We have experienced peace. God has given peace, and as a result, as Israel did, they began in their prosperity and the peace that they had, the rest that they had, they began to worship other gods. They got comfortable. Hey, you know, and it's okay. Maybe I should just worship me. You know, I, my friend, they, they believe in Baal and they believe in, in these things. Why don't we just do that and, and we could just make an altar for it and begin to, uh, you know, and decide we don't have that. We don't have a, a statue that people are bowing down to, burning their children to. But we have these same things going on in our society, right? We have people worshiping uh, uh, money. We have people worshiping idols all the time. Well, pastor, what do you mean? Uh, anything that you put in place of God is an idol. Whatever you give your time, your talents, your, your passion to, more than you do God is your idol. And they were worshiping idols. And as a result... It led them into, into forsaking God and forgetting Him. And as a result, God raised up enemies against them, allowed the Midianites' army to bring them down and very low. Now, after uh, they had become, in verses 7 and 10, God sends them a prophet, and He tells them why He, was, he has given them into the hands of the Midians. You know, this is happening today in America. As we read, the, that, read that article, it's not just in the pews, it's in the pulpits. In America, we have killed millions of children in the womb. We have a current platform, a party platform right now. We have candidates right now in this country who are telling people, don't vote for the other guy because he wants you not to kill your child. This is happening today in this country. People have forgotten God and have forsaken Him. And they've worshipped the God of self. They've worshipped Satan now. And they're more willing. There are people sitting in pews. There are people in pulpits who are willing to kill children and sacrifice children in the womb to get what they want. And God is just and He's going to bring every deed, every evil deed to account. You know, we've got an election coming up here in a, in a, uh, this week on Tuesday. We have people 
in the church right now who may watch me or may listen to me later who right now will vote for the person that is killing babies in the womb. All because of my culture. All because of what I, what I was raised in. You know what? Get your eyes on the Word of God. Get your eyes on the Word of God. And begin to look at these candidates. Look at what they believe. Look at what they're doing. And make it line up with the Word of God. When you go to that booth, you have the Word of God in mind when you go to cast that vote. And you remember, when you go to cast that vote, when you go to sit there and you go to, you see those names and you see what they represent and you see, and you know their platforms, you know what they believe. When you cast that vote, remember that God is going to hold you accountable for that vote. I believe that. And this is what's going on. And this is what's going on. And God doesn't want that from his people. God wants us to be people who are, who are calling a spade a spade. Why? Because he's given us his word. This right here, when people have a biblical worldview, they begin to cut through the mustard. They can see right through the, the phoniness of this world and the things where Satan is, is lying and deceiving people. The greatest deception that Satan has done is, is convince a woman that, that her body, uh, that child in her womb is, is hers to kill. That's the biggest lie he told them. And it's not right. And God is going to hold every person accountable for what they've done. You see, they had sinned against God and God raised up enemies. And you say, oh my gosh, pastor, but yes, let me tell you, we're not at the end yet. We're at the beginning. I, you need to understand what's wrong before you can get what's right. Before you can get the, before the doctor gives you medicine, before he gives you uh, the antidote, he tells you what's wrong with you so you can take it seriously. And sin is seriously, serious to God. It was so serious to the Lord that he sent his son to die a brutal death on a cross for you and for me. Sin matters to God. And God is going to hold every sin and every, every wicked deed to account. He's going to bring it to account. And that's why he sent his son. Because we can't save ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves. Friends, I want you to know that this is idolatry. We're having this right now in our country. Idolatry is happening right here in America. Our idolatry has created a society of sexual moral people. We are currently having to fight in our school board across the country to stop uh, literature in our schools that seek to sexualize our children and to teach them about sexual identity. This is how bad it is that parents are having to, to talk to their school boards to say, hey, listen, uh, please stop putting pornographic things in the libraries and, and things that teaching our children about being a transgender or what kind of identity they should I, I identify is. We don't want this in the schools. This is perverse and we want it to stop. And you know what happens? People do this. Because of idolatry, this is what's happening today. Our professors teach us garbage, this nonsense to people. Young people go to colleges and their brains are brainwashed by these, these uh, so-called brilliant minds. You know what? No one's wiser than God. There's not a man on this earth, there's not a philosophy on this earth that is wiser than the creator of heaven and earth. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, he made everyone after their own kind. He made them male and female, period. 
When God saw that man was alone, he did not make another man. He made a woman for him. This is the truth. And anyone else that speaks anything else is a liar and is not to be, it's to be rejected. I don't care how nicely they put it. I don't care how, how smart they sound. They're not wiser than God. And I warn you, turn from those things and turn to the living God. Just as the people of Israel in Gideon's time turned to worship creation rather than the creator, so are we in America. We are doing the same thing. We look across these pulpits. We see pastors who do not know the times in which they live. They are preaching messages that have no relevance for the time in which the church is in. We see pastors proclaiming a fluffy message. You've got to understand, uh, I'm thankful that um, God has called me to preach his word, but I do know the times we're in. I do know the times that we're not in, in the time of peacetime. We're in wartime. No, I, I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. There is massive warfare going on spiritually today, and the pulpits of America are silent about it. And they're, all they want to do is talk about the l- fluffy things that we have as Christians and the, and the wonderful things about our salvation and how the love of God and the, the wonderful things. And those are wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downing those things. They're wonderful. And we need to know those things. And we, and we should talk about some of those things. But at this time, it's not the time for that. I want to remind you of a, of a man of God named Jude. In Jude, verse 3, look what it says here. Beloved. Although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. You see, this was about the good stuff, you know. Man, the love of God, the, the blessing of God, of being, his, being in the household of God, being brought out of darkness into light. This is the wonderful stuff. He wanted to talk about that. But this is what happened. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. See, he wanted to talk about the good stuff of faith, or, or those things that make us happy and make us feel good, and we get all bubbly inside. But he said, you know what, God, I find it necessary right now that we're in a different time right now. And I don't need to talk about this. I need to talk about contending for the faith. Whew. Man, I pray my brothers, and my brothers out there in those pulpits will begin to see the times that we're in. And that they would rise up Rise up in this time and begin to preach the truth fearlessly as they should. Preach the truth fearlessly as it should. You see, God had to raise up a prophet. In those times, he had to raise up prophets. What are prophets? You know, not the prophets of the day that we, 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 they want to tell you, they get you a prophet line, everybody line up, and he's going to give you a word, and, and he's going to tell you how many cars you're going to get, how many houses you're going to get. He's going to, tell you, he's going to tell you what you want to hear. No, 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 that's not the prophet of God. The prophet of God is going to tell you a message that's going to cause you to repent and turn back to God. When he says, thus saith the Lord, that thus saith the Lord is going to cause your heart to be pricked, and it's going to cause you to want to turn back to God from where you've been. You see, a true prophet is going to declare what you need to hear from God because God loves you and he wants to turn you from your wicked ways and back to him. You see, true prophets are going to declare the word of God to you. They're not trying to make money off you. <laughs> They're not trying to, to tickle your ears. You see, that's what's happening today. Evil is happening, and God had to raise up a prophet. God hears the cry of the people, 
My second point, God hears His people crying out for help. There are moments God gives us into the hands of our enemies when we sin against Him because it is His way to bring us back to Him. Maybe you're wondering, man, why, why, am I, why is all this stuff going on in my life? Why am I dealing with all these things? Could it be? Could it be, my friend, my dear brother, my dear sister, could it be that you might be having some sin in your life, that there might be something in your life that you have worshipped before God, that God is saying, this is why I'm not letting go. This is why you're not going beyond this point. Because His goal is to bring you back to Himself. His motive is love. God's motive in disciplining your life is love. Don't ever get it twisted that God, when He disciplines you, is trying to destroy you just like your parents when they discipline you. It isn't because they hate you uh, in spite of your own uh, mind whenever you get mad at them because they don't let you get what you do what you want to do. You know what? They're doing it because they love you. And because they love you, they discipline you. You see, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He, ch he chastises every son in whom He receives. In whom He receives. Amen? He doesn't want to destroy you, but bring you back into right relationship with Him. You see, the point of this message isn't to condemn you. The point is so that God can get your attention and bring you back to Himself because He loves you. Romans 8.29 tells us, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you understand that if you are a Christian, if you are born again of God's Spirit, that you have a destination? You, are, you have been predestined to be image bearers of Jesus Christ, to reflect the Son to this world. And He's going to do that work. Philippians 1.6 tells us, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, he raised up this prophet. He hears their cry. And he begins, and, he, and, he, and this prophet begins to tell them what's going on, and here's what's going on. This is why you're in the mess you're in. He heard their cry, and he answered, and he sent a prophet. I'm not a prophet, but I'm declaring to you who are here today and to you who will listen later. There's sin in the camp. And unless you repent and unless we turn from our wicked ways, humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. We're not going to see deliverance. We're, we're not going to be delivered by our, our party. We're not going to be delivered by government officials. We only can be delivered from where we are right now through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our deliverance does not come from the things of this world. Our deliverance comes from Him. It doesn't come from these things in this world. So if you've been thinking, oh, man, I, I think there's a, there's a, a possibility there's going to be some major changes all across this nation and your trust and your confidence in, in those changes, let me tell you, friend, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Continue to press in to the Lord. Continue to serve Him and proclaim His message to people because that is the only thing that can take a wild heart and bridle it. God wants to bring salvation to people. And we are called to be ministers of reconciliation 
We're to call people back to God. Not to, the goal isn't, uh, I mean, yes, God wants people to be reconciled to each other, obviously, but primarily the number one purpose of reconciliation is that you are reconciled to God. Because if you get reconciled to God, then the love of God gets in you and you will love your brother. <laughs> Man, when God's love gets in you, then you're going to love your brother. You know, no one's going to have to tell you how to love somebody. Why? Because God's love is in you. And God answers his people, lastly. He answers them. He hears their cries. He sends a prophet. He tells them what's wrong. And now he answers them. And look at verses 11 through 16 with me. The Lord hears the cries of his people, and he, he answers by calling a man named Gideon. Look at this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebith at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazurite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to, uh, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the, the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Wow. God answers his people, and the scriptures tells us it, it is Gideon. Do you understand? This God calls a man who is... To the world, average Joe. He's an average Joe. God calls him. He goes to answer his people. You know, most of us, hey, we got an army against us. We want to get the baddest and toughest warrior that's out there. But God sends average Joe. He calls an average Joe and he tells him, almighty man of valor. <laughs> that's how God works. The scripture tells us that Gideon is from the weakest clan. And he was at least in his father's house. This is the man that God called. God answers Israel and he sends a man who is insignificant or a foolish thing. He was a man who did not see himself as a mighty man of valor. He didn't see himself that way. The Lord does, does this to shame the wise of this world. He does it so that when the smoke clears, man will only be able to say, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And that's Psalm 18, 23. You see, when God is going, God's deliverance in our generation is not going to come by power nor by might, not by the, the greatest political uh, machine you could put out there. It's not going to be by, by a person. It's going to be by His Spirit. It's going to be by God moving upon people and saving people. And us as His church bearing light and, and beginning to be the salt of the earth as God called us to be. 
And I pray that it will begin in the pulpits. I pray that it will begin right in the pulpit so that when we proclaim the word of God as it is, brother, proclaim it as it is. Preach the word of God as it is and let God do the rest. And if someone leaves, praise God. If someone gets mad at you, praise God. Why? Because you're telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And God calls you and me to proclaim his word fearlessly as we should. With the love and fire of God in our heart. You see, God goes the answer. He doesn't answer us in the way we think it should be done. I found this interesting about uh, um, the, the people that uh, Gideon's father came from. The Abizarites. Abizarites, sorry. Abizarites. The name Abizarite means my father is help. My father is help. And our Heavenly Father is help. We need help today. We don't need it from a politician. Although I'm not telling you not to engage and to, and to understand that we do have to put people in place who fear God. Who fear God, number one. People who fear God. People who are going to do things that are right and just. We're not putting perfect people up there. We need to put people who fear God up there. And you see, God raises up someone mediocre, someone no one cares about. Who, who cares about Gideon? Gideon just he calls him out. He's from the least. He says, I'm the least of my brothers. I want to leave you with this passage of Scripture to show you how my Father in heaven works. And he works like this. He's awesome. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're looking at verse... 26 it says for consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast, uh, excuse me, as, so as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we're going to boast it won't be because what I did and look how I am is going to be because of the Lord. We're going to boast in what God has done. We're going to say, hey, this is awesome. It is marvelous in our eyes what God has done. How God delivered. How God brought somebody out of darkness in the light. How God healed our land. We will declare it was him who did it. It was Jesus Christ who did it. It won't be. Oh, well, I did it, or such and such did it, or this person did it. No, it will be Christ. He will, be, he will get the glory. So let's, let's close right now as we pray. I want to, this message is calling, calling the church to repentance. It's calling us to turn. I want you to check your heart. I want you to, you've heard God speak to you today. Say, Lord, here I am.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, Lord. Father, we recognize that we have sinned against you as a people, as a nation. Lord, we have sinned against you from the pulpits. Lord, we have been quiet. We have been silent. We have gone along with the pagan. We have done what did when Moses was in the mountain, when the people were complaining, and they told Aaron, hey, you make us our gods. We have pastors in, all across this country who are, who are, who are fashioning gods in the, of the image that people want. And God, we confess that to you, Lord. That is not your way. You are the only true God. There is no other beside you, Lord. And God, I pray today for, for pastors all across this country, all across this land, that they would rise up. And if there's sin in their life, that they'll repent before it's too late. That they'll repent and begin to preach the gospel, calling men to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, calling men to live a, a life that is worthy of the calling they have received. Lord, have your way in their lives. Strengthen them, Lord. Give them what they need. Give them grace in their time of need. I pray for those right now in this, in this church, Lord, who are listening in this building. Lord, you know their hearts. You know where they are. You know if they're true, you know if they're false, you know if, if it's their motives for where, why they're here, what they're here for. You know every heart, Lord. And my prayer today, Lord, is for you to minister to their hearts, Lord. Bring them back to you. Bring them back to a heart of worship. Not just a Sunday couple hour worship, but a transformed life. A life that is in love with Jesus. A life that's about pursuing you, Lord. And when they serve, Lord, that they would do it out of love. Not out of compulsion. Out of love. Lord, you love a cheerful giver. You love people who serve you with joy in their hearts. Because, Lord, you are worthy of our, our, our loyalty. You are worthy of our service. And, Lord, I pray for that person who, who's listening and and, and who's caught up in the sins that I may have mentioned, I pray, Lord, today that they would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That right there, that the, as the Holy Spirit has brought conviction, that they would drop to their knee, they will pull over their car, and they'll stop, and they'll call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says He will fill you with His Holy Spirit. And you'll go from death to life, from darkness to light. Would you do that today? Would you say, Lord, I confess to you. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he died on that cross for my sins. And I believe that, God, you raised him from the dead. And I want to give him my heart, my life. I surrender to you, Lord. I surrender my plans, my dreams. I surrender all to you. Make this foolish thing 
Take me and do what you will with me, Lord. I pray that you would do that. I pray you would humble yourself before the Lord. Call on him. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in every heart, Lord. I thank you, Lord. We're going to give you the praise. One day we're going to, I may not see it on this side of eternity, but one day we're going to rejoice of the people who heard your word and who responded in faith, Lord. And we're going to rejoice together, Lord, because of what you did. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you.